For those of you who are joining us and have never seen our Sunday school before or haven't been uh, a, a, a part of it yet, we have been studying in the book of Acts. We have been using a study guide and we have been diving through the book of Acts in different sections. And right now, our current section we are on is the power of unity, the power of unity in the church. Last week, we saw how the early church was not unified because of legalism. You could say legalism, you could say the spirit of religion. It had divided, there was a big divide between the Jews and the Gentile Christian. In page 84 of our study book, it talked about how there were two main questions to answer in the early church. Two of them. The theological one concerning how a Gentile could be saved from his sins. And then the practical one, asking how Jews and Gentiles could function together. This was a big problem in the early church that they hadn't figured out, they hadn't gotten together with. Too many of the early Christian that, uh, Jews that were converted just couldn't get through their head that Gentiles actually could be saved and could have grace of God. That was hard for them to get, get in their head. But we see in Acts 15, verse 9, there is no distinction. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There is no distinction based on any circumstance, race, ethnicity, nothing. There is no distinction. As a matter of fact, God hates and refuses to discriminate and to show favoritism. All ethnicities, all people, regardless of social status, are welcome at the foot of the cross where we can find forgiveness, salvation, peace, and love. So those of you who feel a person has to look, act, smell a certain way to sit next to you in church, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I ask you that if you feel that way, seek forgiveness and get back into the fight as a unified body of Christ fighting together, plowing in one direction. Unity, unity is very, very important. So as we dive in further to our book, those of you at home who have the book, those of you who have been taking notes, we're on page 84 in our study book, in the book of Acts. At the very bottom, it's under Kingdom Extra. Paul taught that the people of God's kingdom will face trial and experience suffering. In Acts 14.22, it says, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. On the subject, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. It says that in John 16, verse 33. So it's not of question whether we will face trials in our walk, in our Christian faith. The only question is the form in which they will come. But yet Jesus, as he said, comforts our hearts with the encouragement that he has overcome the world on our behalf. That means whatever we face, we can and will overcome it because Jesus already has. 
Often, we will experience instant victory in the Lord. Addictions may simply disappear in a moment in time, or we may enjoy instantaneous healing of disease. I know we here in our church body, we have seen it time and time again, instant healing, life restored. One was dead and now was alive. There was other ones who were dead and then were alive. There was cancer that was uprooted in an instant. We have seen that and we know that that can happen. However, sometimes the deliverance from our afflictions is a process through which we must fight. We must fight through it. It's not always instantaneous. Only a weak view of the kingdom of God pretends otherwise. You can pretend all you want, but it is a fight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, it's just a few verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we see where Paul is talking about his lengthy fight, not, not a instant relief. In chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, and he said to me, and this is in red, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in affirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. And this is where Paul was talking about the thorn in his flesh. That thorn, whatever it is, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what that thorn is, but Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh and asking God to take it away. He didn't take it away. It wasn't an instant deliverance. It was something that he had to deal with day after day after day. And here he talks about it, but he says, for when I am weak, I am strong because God gives him the strength to get through. Another view, another weak view, surrenders to negative circumstances on the proposition that we are predestined to problems and therefore should just merely tolerate them. The Bible teaches that suffering, trial, and all manner of human difficulty are unavoidable, but God's word also teaches that they may all be overcome. The presence of the king and, I'm sorry, the presence of the king and the power of his kingdom in our lives makes us neither invulnerable or immune to life struggles. So just because we are Christians, just because we have the power of God living in us, doesn't make us immune. That doesn't mean we're not going to face things. A lot of people think that just because I get saved or just because I get into church, just because I'm making an effort, that means my life is going to be roses. My life is going to be easy going. I'm going to have all the money I need in my bank account. My family's not going to get sick. No, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. But in the struggles, they do bring the promise of victory. Provision in need, strength for the day, healing, comfort, and saving help that is promised to us. And you may say, John, where, where, where are you getting at? 
Well, those of us who have been reading in chronological order, where are we at? We're in Job. And it's so cool how God lines things up. Because this lesson is coming at the end of Job. How about that? Nothing, nothing is a mistake. Nothing is a mistake. In the Old Testament, we see all of this that we're talking about in this chapter of the power of unity. We see this in Job's life. Job was afflicted. He was tormented by the devil. We see where God says, have you considered my servant Job? That's always kind of messed with me. Have you considered my servant Job? I mean, I'm just being honest. When I first read that and then read it a second time, I was like, man, come on, God, why are you throwing Job under the bus? That's how I felt, just being honest. But then when I started digging into it and getting answers to that question, the answer was yes. Satan had already considered Job. Considered is a military type word where a general would consider his enemy. Watching, studying, planning an attack on that enemy. Satan had already been studying Job, looking for a weakness in him, but there was none to be had because he was a blameless and upright man who lived under God's covering and didn't stray outside of that covering. So when, when Satan in chapter one and chapter two of Job went before the throne, went in, God's, God already knew he'd been considering him. And that's why he said, have you considered my servant Job? Because he already knew the answer. Yes, he had. So when God lifted his covering and Satan attacked Job, he knew where it really hurt. Why? Because he had been studying them. He, he knew his weaknesses. He knew where he could get to him. And where he hit him first was his ability to sacrifice his animals. His ability to sacrifice. Why is that important? Because in chapter one, we see where Job had 10 kids. He had 10 children. And we also see that he had seven sons and three daughters. And in that chapter, we find out that each day, a different son would have a party at their house each different day and invite the rest of the children to that party. So what did Job do? Job would get up and sacrifice and plead on the behalf for each and every one of his children, covering them. They didn't do it themselves. Job made the effort to plead, to cover for his children. That's what he did. The devil knew that. The devil saw that. So what did the devil take first? His ability to sacrifice and cover his children. So then after that, what happened? After that, Satan then took all of his children from him. Killed every one of them. I can't imagine that pain, that suffering. Being a parent, being an aunt, being an uncle, I can't imagine, can't imagine losing my son, my nieces, my nephew, 
I can't imagine that grief that must have hit. But not only did he lose that, he lost everything he had. That's the trial Job was facing. Everything. The only thing that was left, the only thing that was left was a few servants and his wife. Throughout the rest of the book of Job, we see where he didn't understand. He wondered why God allowed this to happen. Job questioned. He pleaded. He searched. And he asked God, why? And what I love about those books is that Job was raw. Job was raw. He didn't sugarcoat it. He was raw in his conversation with God, asking and pleading. If you're struggling today, God doesn't want the church version of why you're hurt. He wants the real reason. Because the Bible says in 1 Peter, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. That doesn't mean you go to God and say, God, I'm just kind of, no. You give him everything. You give him the rawness. You give him the real hurt. And when you give him the real hurt, when you give him the real rawness, that is when he will give you real peace and healing. But if you give a fake, he can't give to you real. Man. But in all that frustration and all that questioning and all of that, the Bible says Job never sinned from his lips. Not once. He never sinned from his lips in asking those questions. Not once. Think about this for a minute. In the midst of that trial, Job never sinned, but what did he do? We see where Job praised in the midst of that trial. He was suffering physically unimaginable pain boils, boils that then he scraped off, that then got infested, that had maggots coming out of them that were just gross and nasty, just pain. His skin, the Bible says it would turn black and fall off. So not only was he suffering emotional pain, but he was suffering physical pain. But in all that, he never sinned and he found a way to praise. He found a way to say, naked I came into this world, naked shall I leave, blessed be the name of the Lord. He said that in it I know that when I die that my Redeemer lives and I will see him in the flesh with my own eyes. In the midst of all of that suffering, Job praised so in that, we see that in the midst of your worst trial, in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your pain, there is no excuse because you can praise. And the praise is what will bring you through to the other side. Sometimes God will calm the storm around you like he did when he was in the boat with the disciples. When he was in that boat with the disciples, the storm was raging. He was asleep in the bottom. He was good. But the disciples, they were tripping out. Oh my goodness, we're going to die. They run down and wake Jesus up and says, Carest not that we perish? And Jesus woke up. Woke up. That's good English. You're welcome. He woke up, went up top, and spoke to the winds and said, Peace be still. 
So we see in that example to where Jesus calmed the storm around that circumstance. But then we also see, well, Jesus will calm you in the midst of the storm. The storm around you will keep raging, but the peace of God will come and will calm you in the midst of your storm. We see that when Peter jumped out of the boat in the midst of the storm and started walking on the water. He was walking on the water towards Jesus. The storm was still raging. He took his eyes off of Jesus and what happened, he began to sink. But did God calm the storm? No, he didn't. He reached down and he picked Peter up in the midst of the storm held him together and they walked back to the boat and it wasn't until they got back to the place of safety that the storm then subsided. So we see two examples of Jesus calming the storm around you. Then we see an example of Jesus calming you in the midst of the storm. Then in Job 38, we finally see where God comes and speaks to Job out of the whirlwind. And in that instant, after all that suffering, suffering, Job finally had his questions answered. He had it all answered. And God moved in his life at that point. And you're probably asking, John, why did you get off on Job when we're talking about unity? Because no matter the trial you may be facing, God is always right beside you. Even though you feel alone, he is beside you. Even though you feel like you're walking blindly, he is beside you, closer than a brother. Regardless what struggles we face, to enter into inevitable trials of life without the support and encouragement of fellow believers is to forge ahead into battle as a long, a lone soldier. And the reason why I'm using Job as an example is because what do we see? He had three, four friends come to minister to him. And when they came to minister to him, they didn't come alongside of him and support him. They came alongside of him and judged him. In typical Christian manner, they kicked the brother while he was down. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what we're called to be. We are called to come, link arm and arm together and fight this battle together. Leave the, leave the stupid differences outside. We are saved, blood-brought Christians of God. We are, his, we, we are his servants. We should be linking arm and arm together to fight the battle, not arguing over petty things that don't matter. That's why it is important to be unified. Because the thing is, is, the devil gets in to the church and he causes us to continually, as he is doing, through the spirit of religion, to bicker back and forth with each other. Is the army moving forward to make a difference for the kingdom of God? No, it is not. Because we're taking too much time to be petty. When the fact is, is there's a dying and lost world out there. When the fact is, there's a wife over here who lost her husband and her kids. The fact is, is that 
there are homosexuals living on the street who are tormented by demons and by everything else that are going on and they need to know the love of Christ and that somebody loves them. There are so many more different examples I can use. So instead of fighting each other, let's link arm in arm and press forward. As Paul said in Philippians, press forward, don't look back, go forward. That is important. We need our fellow warriors at our side as we face the struggles and tribulations of life. It is often through them that God will bring provision for our need in times of trial. We see that when the children of Israel were fighting a battle. They were fighting a battle, and when Moses' arms fell down, what happened? They started to lose. They were losing. And when his arms were up, they were winning, but he couldn't physically keep his arms up. So what happened? He had two brothers come along his side to hold his arms up. We need brothers and sisters to hold our arms up to help us fight the battles. This life is not going to get any easier. When we read the Bible, we see that trials and afflictions are coming and they're going to continually get worse. That is what's coming. That's why it is important for the power of unity to come together side by side and fight and encourage one another. Encourage one another in the word, with truth, with honesty, with love. As we learned earlier in this book, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. It says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We need each other. We need to be unified because if we're out there, if I'm out here fighting a battle by myself, it is very easy for me to get sifted like wheat, as the Bible says. It is very easy. But if I have a brother on my right side, if I have a brother on my left side, and we together come in prayer and agreement, we can fight, we can battle any devil that comes our way. If I'm facing a trial, if I'm deep in despair and I can't see behind the curtain of what God's really doing, I need that brother on either side of me to not judge me, but to say, man, I'm here. I'm praying for you. Man, let's fight this thing together. Let's come together and figure this thing out. We may never figure it out, but I'm going to be here fighting with you. That's important. That is why unity is important because God knew what was and is coming. He knew that we would face temptation. He knew that we would face persecution. He knew that we would be in the battle for our lives and spiritual lives. He said, if I suffered this, how much more will you? But he also said this. This is good. He also said, these miracles that you have seen me do, you will do even greater. We've been speaking here at church, those of you who have followed us online, about the pressing. Out of pressure comes the wine. Out of pressure comes the oil. Out of pressure comes the birthing. Your greatest victory is just past your greatest persecution. Your greatest victory is just past your greatest trial. 
So what I want to encourage you with today, be unified together. If your life is great and things are going awesome right now, that is awesome. Find a brother or sister who needs encouragement. Find a brother or sister who needs unity. He needs you to come beside them and pray with them. Because we can't do it alone. We cannot do it alone. So I'm going to end today's lesson with prayer. And as we pray, I want you to pray with me at home too. This this is what we do here. We end with prayer. We pray for those who need us. We pray for those who can't be here, for the sick, for the hurting, for our brothers and sisters that we know of who are fighting battles that we can't get to. For those of you who are watching that may be in a hospital room, in a COVID ward, we pray for you, we uplift you. For those of you who are at home and maybe came by this broadcast on accident and you don't even know anything about God, know that He loves you. Know that He is there for you. Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that is you, that is me, that is everyone, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Father, right now in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God, I come before you, Father, right now, interceding on the behalf of those, God, who can't be here, interceding on the behalf of those, God, who are sick, interceding on the behalf of those, God, who are living in fear, depression. Father God, you came and you have broke every chain of depression. You have come and and, and broke every chain of suicide. Father, you have come and broke every chain of, of sickness, God. Every sickness out there, God, you have already interceded and broke that chain. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray for those who are sick. Father, we pray for those who are suffering with COVID. Father God, we pray for those who are suffering with diabetes. Father God, we pray for those who are suffering with a a cancer diagnosis. God, right now in the name of Jesus, we cast off every spirit of sickness in the mighty name of Jesus. Father God, you said what we bind on earth, you will bind in heaven. Father God, we bind it, we cast it down in the mighty name of Jesus, Father God. Father God, right now we intercede, Lord, for those who have been struggling and battling God. Lord, we want to come beside our brothers and our sisters, Lord, who have been fighting a battle, God, that they feel they cannot win. But Father God, you have overcome every situation, God. You have overcome this world. You are the God of all creation, Father, which means you are the God over Satan. He cannot do anything, Father, without your permission. And Father God, right now we pray, Lord, that you will bind and that you will cast out his Satan and every demon, Lord, that he has sent to attack us, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father God, we dispatch your warring angels right now in the mighty name of Jesus on our behalves, God, on on the behalves of those watching, Father God, to go fight that battle, God. 
Lord, we dispatch your angels of healing to go right now, Lord, and minister, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus to those who need healing in their bodies, God, to those who are suffering afflictions, God. We pray right now, Lord, that your angel of healing will minister and carry your healing to them right now, Father. Father God, we ask, Lord, that you will dispatch your angel of provision, God. Those who are suffering, Lord, in finances, God, I pray, Lord, that you will miraculously, God, bless them, Lord, and give them seed for the sowing, God. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would be with our pastors. Lord, the pastors of this house, as they prepare to come and minister this morning, God. Lord, I pray for the pastors over every house of this country right now, Father God. Uh, you will prepare them, God. Lord, that your fresh anointing and fire will be poured out on them. And Father God, that the pastors of this country, God, will not grow weary in well-doing, Lord, but they will continue, God, to fight, to plow. And Father God, give them strength, give them wisdom, encourage them, God, in all things, Jesus. Father God, we love you. We thank you, God. We praise you, Lord, that you have chosen us for such a time as this. Lord, to fight for you, to minister for you. Father God, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen.